What up, young slumlords and ladies? This is Jake Lapp, and welcome to the Young Slumlords Podcast, where me and Caleb Henshaw talk our shiz and hopefully help spark the idea for finding your financial independence in this paycheck-to-paycheck world. What's up, guys? Welcome back. For this episode, we're planning on going through one thing that I think is really important, your significant other and being on the same page is so incredibly important and it's not a common thing to be thinking of. So, you know, you're listening to podcasts, you're thinking of ways to become financially independent, but without communicating that to your significant other, it can really make or break a relationship. And, you know, I made a ton of mistakes and this is with a a super loving and supportive partner, but like by me not communicating properly and letting this take it on stress get to me, especially with the first deals, like there was definitely a lot of things that I did wrong. You know, I wanted to be able to share how we got past them or better ways to do it. And, you know, I wanted to get into it and start sharing that with everyone. So, you know, I mentioned it in episode one, but I have a very addictive personality and after putting substances down and switching over to money being my vice you know I got out of school and I set that goal I I was like I'm gonna make six figures by any means necessary this year and I didn't realize that that goal was going to directly impact my girlfriend at the time and like the amount of time and the amount of attention that I would be able to give to her through that process. You know, I I had very hyper-focused like tunnel vision that I was going to achieve that goal. And at the beginning to do that, I had to put my relationship second to what my number one goal was. And m- my way of justifying that was that this is for us. And I realized that through that process that if she was gone, it would be for nothing. So I'm very fortunate that she stuck by my side and, you know, was that rock to encourage me to live life and that everything isn't about money and go hang out with friends and not work all the time. When things got heavy and, you know, having that balance, having somewhat of a social life was so so important. You know, she supported my aspirations since we met and I tried to do the same for her, but we both had very different views of money. She had significant struggles growing up, but money wasn't a part of that struggle. And even though I understand that money isn't everything, to me, not having money is everything. Getting into real estate, I put an offer on the triplex in Quakertown without telling her I was doing it. She never saw the place. And I, I knew that I was making a decision that was going to directly impact our lifestyle for the next few years. Having to move every year, staying in a small apartment where we would be capable of buying a pretty nice house, you know, and living a normal life, making payments every month and relying on, you know, the kindness of our bosses for a raise every year and and then eventually working until we're 65. To most people, that is all that's known and there aren't other options. You know, people don't learn about creating passive income. So how can you blame them? This is life. Like you go to work every day forever. You work hard. And as long as you have a nice house, 
a nice car in the driveway and you go on a nice vacation every year, like you made it. Like that's the goal. And after learning about this strategy, I decided that I didn't want that to be my life. But the thing is that Kayla never made that decision. My significant other didn't make that decision with me. So now I break the news to her, this pivotal point in our lives, and I'm just thrilled. She, for some reason, wasn't sharing like that same excitement where, you know, it was confusing. It was like, dude, like, this is the way, like, why are you not like beaming through the roof that I just did this? And now it's too late. So she, she's like a little hesitant and I'm swamped, you know, buying a house. There's lots of paperwork. There's tons of nights, tons of hours that you're putting in just in the house buying process alone. But now to add on to that, you're looking for tenants, you're getting material together, you're getting a plan for like fixing everything up, moving all during like working a full-time job. Like I still was working plenty of hours. Like I didn't take time off to be able to to do this. So through all that stuff, like we barely had time to talk. And when she would ask me to do something, I was resentful because how can't she see that I'm swamped? Like I don't have time to eat, let alone spend quality time with her. Like my response for to her was, this is for you. Like this is for us. This is for our kids. It's for our grandkids. Like stop being so selfish. And like it took a couple fights for me to realize that like what her side of things were and like she never asked for it like what I was talking about earlier like she was completely content with just living a normal life working for someone else until 65 so what is there for me to do like she was cool with living like how everyone else is living and I'm not I want a better life for my family I want to build generational wealth I want to create Something that like my grandkids won't have to worry about money. Like that's eventually the goal. And so we sat down and I tried my best to be able to articulate, to explain the process of how we can possibly retire and not need to work for money after being 30. One of us could always be home with the kids. We could travel. We could see the world. There's like the the options were limitless. Eventually we could even make a difference in the world. The thing is, like, I'm not a mind reader and neither is she. So why did I expect her to know what the plan was and to just be okay with everything without me explaining what I'm trying to do? Like, what the goal is. If she doesn't know what the goal is, like, how can she know? So that brings me to the first and, like, pretty much the only tip is, like, communication. The reason that I at first didn't show her the place was because I was worried she wouldn't see the big picture and maybe not like the apartment. And then she'd want to be involved and then we have to find the perfect place. When to me and in the scheme of things, it's just a rental. We just have to live here for one year. And in hindsight, if I had communicated that and the reason for living in the crappiest apartment and why the numbers at this particular property worked, she, she wouldn't know that unless I tell her that. So, and even before getting on the same page, you know, she did put a ton of work in. And more importantly, even though she wasn't thrilled, she trusted me enough to do what was best for us. She, she knew that I had that in mind. That was the biggest thing. And 
at that point, we had been together for almost four years and to, you know, build that trust overnight is not normal. If, if it wasn't for that, we might have been in a very different story. She still did lots of cleaning, you know, moving, decorating. Her decorations alone had made the apartment a home, which ended up making us an extra $150 a month when we rented it out because there was so much more attraction to the place. And once we became on the same page so that that like switch probably didn't happen until we were at the first place, let's say six months. Cause she was seeing how it worked. She was seeing, I wasn't entirely consumed with like just replacing toilets every night. Like it was just when things had to get done, they had to get done, but we were living somewhere essentially for free. Like you have to take in the down payment to consideration. Like that's a considerable amount of money to now, you know, quote unquote, live for free, but it's an investment. Now we're on the same page, but I was able to keep reminding myself that when things were becoming stressful, that she didn't ask for it. So I can't be upset with her when that happens. So like she was able to be a partner then in the next deal. So when we finally got on the same page, we were able to look at deals together. I would send her listings that I was thinking about. There were some that I got hard nose from and probably in hindsight, they were good calls. Things that would have turned into a lot of work. We went out and we saw listings and like I communicated what the criteria was for these houses. Like why this house is a good house and why this house isn't a bad house. Even though the bad house has like beautiful hardwood floors and the listings look great. Like why would that be bad? So like just communicating like why some houses look better. It's helped us both out a lot. And she was much happier to be involved. You know, she helped so much more in the whole process that it actually took some of the weight of the process off of my shoulders, which like, that's the point of a partner. Like, it's not like I'm doing all this stuff constantly and like you're going in a different direction and thinking something else and just adding to that weight. Like the point of a partnership is like to share the weight and like make life the best for the other as possible when you can. And like going forward, you know, things aren't picture perfect. I still definitely work too much and I get consumed with it, but it's something that like we're still working on and we both realize the importance of that mindset. So my advice to anyone that's thinking about taking this plunge that has a significant other is to one, talk about your goals, see where your goals align and where they don't. If there's places that where they don't, you got to try to compromise, like come with the facts and plan, do your research. Besides for this podcast, there's so many things out there. There's so many books There's so many resources to be able to tell someone else to get someone else on board. You need to know because if you're just guessing and like, oh, you know, I heard this thing this one time, like that's not a selling point, especially for me. Like I, I'm always, I'm scatterbrained. Like I, I have an, a new idea every day. Probably went the first time I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, like I spewed off like, oh my word, kill, like this is what we're going to do now. But she's used to hearing that all the time. So like actually going through with it was now new. And if they have no interest in that, ask, like ask if they would support you doing it. And then on top of that, like you guys have to play each other's strengths and see 
each other's as assets instead of always being like analytical, like this is your way. You drop the ball, like see what you're good with. Someone's good with numbers. Someone's good with like talking to people. Someone's good at decorating. Someone's good at building, like playing each other's strengths. Like you'll always be grateful for them coming through with that where it's, I see it all the time. Like it can turn into like a competition and that's not the point of a partnership. You can be really powerful as a team together. Like you can play off each other's strengths and get a lot more done, provide a lot more value and output between the two of you. If you can find out, you know, you want to do all the home remodeling yourself. And then once it's all said and done, you need it staged, designed, decorated for the pictures and the showings and getting the tenants in and you're more of an analytical person you don't really know the difference between the color shades and what clashes and what doesn't having a significant other who understands that come in and work with you can really you know bring the two of you closer together as well because you just have something you can work on together and see grow and get satisfaction from completing it and it, it will definitely bring you closer together as long as you thoroughly communicate those different points that, you know, someone may struggle in a certain aspect and you can't push it onto them if it's not something that, if it's something that's really heavy for them to do, then maybe it's not something that should be pushed on for them to do personally. For sure. And like making time for each other, like through this, like it's super easy to lose sight of the relationship when you're hyper-focused on like achieving these goals. Just occasionally checking in is you know, really important, whether it's like a, a date or literally just setting aside an hour to t talk, like it's, it's really important. And like, these have been the core, like all of this stuff is like to communication and active listening. Like no one reads minds. Like if you guys are talking openly, like actually openly, like not like one person's talking openly and the other one's like, fine. It's like actually like responding and like pulling the response out even when it's hard like even when you know you're dropping the ball but having the significant other say it 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 makes a difference like when I ask Kayla like she, she'll tell me like I wish you would spend more time with me like I know that's the answer but by her saying it now she if I still choose not to do it she can be upset but it's very easy to like gain resentment when you're not talking so again our relationship isn't perfect but we openly communicate when things are bothering us. And like, I really think that's the best thing. And honestly, she still wants to marry me after going through the first deal. So I consider it a win. But the, <laughs> I, I think I, I wanted to talk about going in hindsight, what I would have done differently if I would have asked for her input on the first house. Because I was talking it out. And at that point, to me, I had a pretty good understanding of the multifamily situation. Like I understood I was going to put roughly this amount of money down. I was roughly going to make this amount of money every month. Soon enough, I was going to make back my investment and then the tenants would be paying the mortgage and I'd be getting a little extra money. And that's, that's how it worked. So like, but I didn't have a ton of resources. At this point, I wasn't listening to a ton of podcasts. I was just reading books or listening to books. Um, I, had, I hadn't found the bigger pockets until after the fact when I had like a, a question about some weird landlord stuff and I Googled it and it brought me to a bigger pockets forum. So like I didn't have the same knowledge that I was able to communicate 
with her at that point. So if I would have said to her like, hey, like, I'm pretty sure this is a good idea, but like wasn't 100%, I think there would have been much more hesitation on her side. I think that because of I didn't know all the things, if she was like, if I had another cook in the kitchen saying, oh, I don't like the color of this. Oh, that seems like it's going to be hard. Oh, like, I don't want to live there. Those things would have potentially never got me started in investing. Like, it could have, so many were, were not perfect. They weren't the right one. The, the money wasn't there. Like, there could have been so many things that pushed that initial house buying thing back. And it's not her fault. It's because I didn't know the stuff. So, like, my advice before was like, yeah, like, you know, I don't know if having that extra cook who who hasn't done the same research, like, would be an asset. But now, looking back, the amount of stress and the amount of, you know, fights we had, because I was so stressed and overwhelmed, and I didn't communicate those things, I learned from it. And the second one was much better through communicating. So I don't know what the answer is, if, it, if the answer is to start with just learning together, communicating more together openly in the beginning, getting on the same page, but it's hard to do that when you don't have any experience. So it's it's a it's kind of a, a tough call. It's a something that, you know, you kinda have to figure out for yourself and there's no real right answer. I personally don't know what I would have done with, you know, knowing what I know now. So I did have a different approach myself starting out because back in August, we had talked about like, you know, I wanted to get a new place. I wanted to go out and rent, but I wasn't really sure if that was a good move inside. I just kept feeling like that was just a bad move. So it was just preventing me from going forward. I've been thinking about it for a long time. And then looking at the strategy for doing the multifamily with splitting the units and living in one, renting out the others to pay for your all your expenses and then growing that over time was just kind of a no-brainer. It, it just made complete sense. And I just hopped on board immediately with it and started taking the next steps of getting the broker, getting pre-approved for a mortgage, getting the real estate agent, finding the listings, viewing the houses and submitting offers. And it was just just one thing after another. And it was only a couple of weeks from when I first started it to when we found this property on the MLS and for everybody around me it, it seemed like it was just super fast but for me like as it was happening it, it just it felt like a lifetime between everything that I was doing just because there was so much going on and I didn't take any time to really like step back and look at everybody around me how without decisions I was making affecting me affecting them were but I initially talked to Victoria, my girlfriend about this initial plan that I had of going through and making this investment and the long-term effects of what the sacrifices that would need to be made in in the short term now for the gain in the long term. And I was pretty well read on it when I first had the plan to go forward with it. I had done my research. I had been recommended Bigger Pockets by Jake, and I just dove in head first, listening podcast after podcast after podcast, just getting as much information as I possibly could on it just so I could understand it to the fullest. And the back end of it of knowing how to analyze the deals, what the long-term goals were with all this was just something that just came really quick and easy to me personally. So when I was 
talking to her about it, it was just a matter of like running through the numbers and, but it always came back to like the short-term sacrifices were just a pain point. And, and it makes sense, you know, if we're living farther away than where we want to for shorter commutes and all that, it just, it, it's a sacrifice being made now for that long-term gain. And I, I felt doing this now when we're young was the best time to do it because there wouldn't be a better time is when we have more responsibilities in the future, when we have a family, it's just going to be that much more difficult, exponentially difficult trying to move into a one unit apartment with more than two people is pretty difficult. And all this was already decided in my head. I had already made all these decisions. I knew what the truth was my personal truth. I knew what that was, but I just needed to thoroughly communicate that mindset because that's not something you can just explain, you know, one day to somebody and have them pick up on it. And be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's going to be my life now. Like, Oh yeah, let me just hop on board with that. It, it takes a little bit more than that. And something that I had done myself was all this research and digging on all these principles myself that kept buying me into it even deeper and deeper. At first, I was similar to Jake. I was like, why aren't you all on board with this? But then I just kind of like thought back, of course, because I just sprung this on you the other day. <laughs> and uh, this is brand new to you. So this is not going to be the same thing, same perspective I'm coming from. So it was just a matter of showing all those cards, showing what all the benefits were in the long term and then bringing that in to be on the same page have the same perspective on these decisions being made now and just what I was explaining was that real estate to me was just a tool to give us more flexibility in the future to make you know take bigger risks and have more freedom and for me personally I would love to be able to quit my day job found a tech startup and or grow a real estate knowledge to eventually get into like commercial deals or even an opportunity I haven't thought of yet. And taking this jump was just that first step to all those different possibilities in the future. And explaining this to her just helped put all these current sacrifices into perspective that just made it worthwhile that we knew that this wasn't just a hard thing just because we want to do hard things. It was because it was really needed to open up all these doors for us. But personally, we had... Um, a lot of good times doing the process together. We closed on the house, went in the first day after closing and started working on the remodels and figuring out what was going on and figuring out which things that I would like to do and how she could help me throughout the process just day to day. And it was a really good experience. Of course, we had to work through some differences brought up in the process that we may have never seen before. And we were able to determine disagreements that we had on set and possibly would have taken a long time and of figuring out we were able to bring those up talk about them get them worked out and just keep moving forward and it was just something I found really valuable to come out of this process that I would have never seen coming before I got into it and it provided a lot of value and I highly suggest working with your significant other when diving into real estate because it really does create a lot of value having a team working on it together that they can support you in ways that you would have never known or never thought of yourself that does create a lot of value. But I would just highly recommend knowing as much as you can beforehand to really explain like your drive to go into this because like Jake said before, if you're kind of iffy or on the fence about it, you're going to come off that way and it's not going to really be a convincing or a convincing point going forward if you don't even know what it is that you want to do. 
but it is something that can really bring you guys together closer as a, as a relationship itself, just really strengthen it and bring out things that you never would have seen coming in the, before you hopped into it. Bottom line, have these conversations now. Like, hey, I'm just listening to this one podcast. I just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like, I still haven't gotten Kayla to read it. But Me neither. I've <laughs> been trying. And my mom picked up the book at a thrift store. Um, so I have the paper copy now. So because she didn't want to listen to it and she wanted to read it. So hopefully we'll get them one day. We'll get them one day. <laughs> and um, but yeah, so I really think this isn't a talked about thing because it's so personal. It's people who talk about real estate investing. It's all numbers. You know, everything's numbers. It's the bottom line. But it talking about the the hardships not only like financially and like with tenants and like with that stuff but just like the strain on your relationship that the stress can cause and like ways to try to make it better i think is super super important and i think it's only a real negative if you don't focus on it because if you recognize where the stress is coming from you understand that maybe you just scooped up a little bit too much on your plate right now you can just start working on it at a better pace that better suits you as a person but if you don't understand how this affects the other person in your relationship you can really cause a lot of damage but if you do understand it and you guys work together on it it is a complete opposite of a strain and just creates a bigger bond between you two for sure so changing the subject and now you know going into kind of a strategy and that i've had people you know reach out and say jake like it just isn't in the works for me. Saving thirty to fifty thousand in the short term isn't something that seems achievable. There is some other options, and there's one option in particular that we wanted to talk about on this podcast, um, on this episode. And like, if you really want to get in, and you're thinking about renting an apartment, and you have you know the first month, the last month, and the security deposit saved up, this might be a strategy for you that you could get started in real estate investing. So you know this option I actually found from previous tenants who were buying a house, and they said that they were putting like no money down, and that their mortgage was not that expensive. And I was like, what kind of loan did you do? Like. FHA, like three and a half percent. And they're like, no, we had to cover closing costs, but we had most of them covered too. And I was like, through what? And he was like, the P, some, I don't know. He, the guy I talked to didn't know. And so I started doing a lot of research. And for me personally, I started this search for my mom because I'm at this point where, you know, my mom's renting and I would love to see her be able to not worry about paying rent. Like to eliminate that cost for her and for her to start building equity, it seems like a no brainer, you know, with the knowledge and stuff that we're learning. I'm like, how can we get her into a situation like that where someone else is paying her rent and I can take care of the, the property management, you know, dealing with tenants and just put her in a spot similar to where she's living at now and alleviate that expense. So like I heard about this loan that required very little money down. So I started looking into it and there's like a Facebook post that no, or a Facebook group, no money down deals, like places that were eligible for no money down deals. And I called the the broker or the, the listing agent that is associated with that page. And 
they started talking about the USDA loan, which I thought was for, you know, the farmlands. Like the out I thought it was for farmers as well, too. I literally <laughs> just thought it was for people with farms because it's the, you know, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Like that's what USDA stands for. You'd assume it's for farmers. But Souderton, Telford, Harleysville, all are eligible for this loan with zero down. And when I say zero down, zero down of the purchase price, but you you would still be responsible for the closing costs like we talked about in the last episode, you know, could be up upwards of $10,000, somewhere around there. And the requirements for this loan are, it needs to be in one of these areas, and you can find those areas if you get, like search on Google, USDA loan eligibility map, and it will show you everywhere that's eligible and what the criteria is. So, you know, for, I think at Bucks County and Montgomery County, it's the same criteria. And I think it's like, as a single person, you can't make more than $95,000 a year. You have to have, I believe it's either 650 or 700 minimum credit score. You need, this is a pretty significant one. You, your monthly payment can exceed 30% of your income. And the income from possibly renting out doesn't count. And this also needs to be your first house purchased. The other kicker, which is a significant kicker, is multifamily deals don't work. It has to be a single family house. So it's like, Jake, I thought you were talking about, you know, multifamily renting, like, and now you're talking about a single family house. And, you know, this method is if you don't have a lot of money saved up and you really want to... (laughs) get involved in investing like there's going to be more sacrifice involved in this one than in renting out other units and living in one unit so there are ways to like there are strategies available to you that can make this work to rent out rooms it's called house hacking where you can have people that you know that or don't know or don't know that's true people who just want to rent out either a specific room in your house and share it with you that is definitely a possibility you can get five six hundred dollars a month per room that you rent out to individuals you know granted you're going to be sharing living areas with them so it's going to be a little bit more of a personal experience with your tenants versus having a multifamily where the only time is where you share common areas like laundry rooms and stuff like that but if you can make that work for your situation and you have not a lot of money and you don't plan on saving up a lot of money or it's not possible for you it is a hundred percent an option to get into the game get a single family house rent out rooms to cover part of your mortgage and it may even really cut back on how much money you're spending in the long run if you're already paying for rent now and you've got a bit of money saved up and you can make that jump out of it you can actually change your whole financial situation here where you're building equity month to month, which could be leveraged for a loan in the future. And then on top of it, reducing your monthly expenses, allowing you to save up money faster to eventually get into a more investment focused deal, such as a duplex, triplex or quadplex. Before I start getting more into that strategy, there's another loan that you can use on top of this no money down loan. So, you know, I, I had mentioned, you know, you could be looking at eight to $10,000 in just closing costs. And this other loan, it's called the PHFA loan. And what that loan is, is essentially 
a secondary mortgage on the house. So in our area, you can get up to $6,000 of your closing costs and make interest-free payments on that for 10 years. So I think that ends up being like 50 bucks a month. But so it's very little. And that is now taking your ten dollars to $8,000 to four to $2,000. Like, and that's where I was talking about, like, if you have the money saved to put first month, last month and security deposit down on an apartment and you can get in to, to a house where now you're renting out rooms, you, you know, using Airbnb, doing any of these things that like you're not paying rent or paying very little for rent. It's kind of crazy that it's, that this is an option. Like I had no idea about it and but now I wanted to take, you know, kind of some break breakdown numbers, you know, between a $250,000 duplex that we went over last week, you know, and the numbers that we kind of found on that and compare it to a $250,000 single family house that you're putting little to no money down and renting rooms out. So, you know, the first things first is you're going to want the most square feet, the most bedrooms, the most bathrooms that's going to create the best return for this strategy. So, you know, let's say we have a four bed, two bath, single family house. And then we have also for sale a four bedroom, two bed, four four bedroom, two bath duplex. So it's, you know, each unit has two beds and one bath. And let's run those numbers. So like, I think we said with the FHA down, you're going to be close close to 30,000 out of pocket. And then you're also going to be paying 1300 a month because you're living in one unit. The other unit you're getting 1200 a month for. So you're paying essentially in that scenario, $100 a month to live. For the single family house, that's four beds and two baths. You're living there. Let's say you're renting each room out for $500, which is in our area, way below market for a place to live. So people would, you'd be surprised how many people would be willing to live somewhere like this for $500 a month. And, you know, you multiply that by three. So you're living somewhere and you're getting $1,500 a month. And, you know, your mortgage is going to be more expensive with zero down, another loan on the closing costs. Like those will add up. And so your mortgage is going to be more expensive. So for this sake, let's say $1,500 a month. Now you're making all your money back. You're making $1,500 a month. You're spending $1,500 a month. The duplex, you're making $1,200 a month. You're spending $1,300 a month. It's worth it. Like, And instead of paying $30,000 down, you put $2,000 down. So the numbers actually kind of make more sense to do the house hacking strategy. Now, that won't go without headaches. Like this is not going to be a super easy task. And we have a guest that we're going to eventually bring on who, who did a lot of this and he can definitely speak on some tips. But the, the ones that I, I really took from it was hiring a cleaning person. You know, one of those things where you're sharing a house with three other people, you've got all these common spaces, like the whole house is a common space. And like, who's pulling their weight, someone keeps leaving their dishes in the sink, someone is using all the toilet paper, like that's like normal things that drive roommates crazy. And to be able to hire a cleaning person to come in once a week, once every two weeks, and tidy up, make everything nice, it's everyone pays their rent and they're paying for this cleaning service as well. It's it can eliminate a lot of headaches. So 
it's a step. It's something, you know, that's going to be an extra expense. And so now, you know, let's say you're, you have to pay $300 a month instead of a thousand dollars a month at your last apartment and you're building equity and once you're there for a year you move out you rent your room you're cash flowing some and you started and now you always have the the possibility of refinancing or selling or pulling your equity back out at some point even moving out as well and renting out the entire house to roommates and just keeping that made on rotation to clean the place stock the toiletries and just make sure there's no fights in between the tenants because there are people who both of us have heard have gotten this strategy to work where they're making killer cash flow on these houses, something that would you would never expect to make on a duplex or a triplex. There's, of course, more overhead because of all the shared common area. But if this is something that is the only way for you to get in, it can definitely be a viable strategy. Another strategy, too, if you... Do this for a year and you hate it. You know, let's say worst case scenario, everyone's an asshole. You're constantly doing landlord stuff. A very real option in this particular situation is like, okay, I could be getting $2,000 a month from four tenants or I can rent the whole four bedroom, two bath house for $2,000 a month. It's the same amount of money and that's, you'd have to, you'd have to break down the numbers because you could definitely get more than $500 a month. You could maybe get more than $2,000 a month for the whole house. So like weighing those pros and cons, but seeing that as another exit strategy is like, oh, I can just rent this whole house. They're in charge of their own utilities. They're in charge of everything besides for making the mortgage payment is um, is a real option as well. I wanted to, to put this in the podcast and like, even though we don't have experience doing it, it could definitely be an obtainable step, like something that is real something that you could do now if you don't have a lot of money laying around. And an actionable step for that is just to reach out to a mortgage broker, get pre-approved, let them know that you're interested in this loan type, find out the exact specifics of what your criteria are due to it being only 30% of your income is the max you can pay per month for it. You want to find out what that number is and get that list of criteria that you need for that specific house that would fit all that and still be a good deal and then give that to a real estate agent let them know this is exactly what i'm looking for and that'll really help him or her find exactly what house would work best for you and then they can tailor that in a search on the mls and then give you an automated email of properties as they come up that meet that criteria that can really help you find that property and get you in the game so now we're actually going to transition into the MLS analysis and we're going to take a little bit different approach this time. We're going to look at a property that Jake actually purchased himself here and we're going to look at it as we looked at it back in the day when we were first picked it up off the MLS and we're trying to determine if this was going to be a good deal. So what was the list price for your duplex? So it was 240 4000 I believe is what it was originally listed at. And what were the comparable rent prices in the area for the uh, units in the duplex? So I was pretty sure for the two-bedroom, one-bath, if everything was nice, I could get you know anywhere from 1200 to 1400 average 1300 for... The two bedroom and then for the one bedroom, 
there was a few that were dumps that were renting for 800 bucks. There were some nice ones for over a grand. So I, I was thinking like close to 900. So I was thinking, you know, total income after we move out would be around 2100 a month with then the 1% rule that would be 210,000 that would fit that criteria but we'll go into more of you know the specifics yeah. so yeah going into those specifics on the house what were the utilities like and what kind of prices were you expecting to pay for those utilities yeah so the house was already split electrically it had two hot water heaters it had gas was split. The utilities were the one bedroom had electric baseboard heat and the two bed unit had a gas furnace that like the ducts just went to the second floor and second and third floor. So it went to that unit and tenants paid for their own electric, their own gas, which was the heating and, and AC, which is the big one. And then water and sewer were and trash were the responsibility of the landlord so for trash i called the borough they made it a requirement for a duplex that you had to have two trash cans where my triplex in quakertown i had one trash can for three units that honestly worked fine so i was like crap i'm gonna i'm paying 400 bucks a year at quakertown that's gonna be 800 bucks souderton but i called the borough and they said it was actually closer to 200 per trash can so it ended up being around the same cost for trash, which was about, you know, $33 a month for trash and then water. I honestly didn't know what that would be. I was just, I Googled it, you know, I was looking at kind of what that expense would be and I came up with about $100 a month for water and sewer. That the trash held up and the water and sewer was they bill quarterly. So my the water bill is like 130. So that, you know, what's that? Divided by 3 is like 40 bucks a month for both. And then sewer I think was around 80. So again, divided by 3 is like 20. So that ended up being like 60 plus the 33, pretty much $100 a month in just regular expenses. Oh, plus there's actually three panels in the basement for electric, and there's a landlord panel which covers the the basement that's used as a shared space and the porch light and the hallway light, which has been about $25 a month. So what's that? About $125 a month is my expenses. And those were the actual numbers after yeah. doing all the, like gathering the data from living there and having tenants in, which... When you're doing like running these numbers, you want to definitely pad them high, yeah. So that way, if you get the actuals in and they're a lot higher than your your projected numbers were, you're not hurting on the monthlies. But yeah, that seems like it was pretty affordable, especially since they were all separated out. Once you have that rented, those costs are alleviated for you personally. But mm -hmm. definitely seems with the income. What was your um after all that was said and done, what was your actual mortgage cost on that? Well, so uh, I want to get into then the the actual purchase price. You know, we I said that it was listed for two forty. I set up a showing, and the the first floor unit was vacant, so that was perfect. There was actually two properties, both listed around the same. I think the one they were on the same street, and I set up. They were both duplexes, both had the same layout. 
and the one was listed for I want to say 215 and the other was for 240. The one that was 215 had both units currently rented and the one unit that was the one bedroom that I would have wanted to live in had a tenant of 40 years and when I went through the walkthrough she was like a 90 year old woman who had lived there for forever and paid like very little money in rent and I personally could not kick her out so that totally took that deal away from me I didn't I didn't want to be involved in that and so I I went with the other one but so when I walked through the one unit's vacant which was perfect for us the other unit we walked through it was decorated really nicely you could tell the tenants cared and when I was walking through the place I saw a picture on the mantle and I I knew the people like they were friends from high school and stuff and you know so I left and I called my friends and they're like oh yeah our landlord offered to sell it to us a year ago for 180 and so I'm like oh snap he wanted to sell it a year ago for 180 now he wants 240 there must be some wiggle room there so I took that I sent the deal over to my mortgage guy I asked him what it would take for my monthly payments to be under $1,200 because I knew I could at least get $1,200 from the one unit. And that was at the time my criteria. I want to be able to live there for free and maybe even cash flow some. And then eventually when we move out, have that unit provide the cash flow. So I told my, my mortgage guy with this specific property for my estimated taxes insurance, mortgage, which includes the principal and interest. I want that to be below 1200. I was putting 15% down, claiming residency, and I said what would be the the lowest number I could pay and my all those payments combined be under $1200. He came back and he told me 210,000. So, 210 was my max that I wanted to spend. The other information I had from the tenants was that 180 was the lowest he would go. So I, I put in my first offer at 180. They countered back, I want to say at 215 or 220. I countered back at 190. They then came with their lowest and final offer, which was $204,400. So it was under my threshold, 210. And I said, okay, contingent on inspections. So now I had an inspector come in and go through the property. The roof was new, pretty recently built. They, he had just recently built a deck on the back, which it kind of explains why he wasn't letting it go for 180 like he would have a year ago. And, you know, there was a lot, a lot of work that needed to be done. Our, our bathroom was a couple square feet. Like, actually, it was uh, pretty hard to even sit on the toilet because it was so small. There was knob and tube wiring. The the deck was sagging. There was definitely some things that needed to be done. After getting my inspection report back and breaking down kind of what it would cost me to do those things and what it would cost a contractor to do those things, I figured for a contractor to come in and do everything, it would probably be close to fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for me to do it. I thought I could do it for under five thousand. My goal was 3000 So with that information, I went to the seller on my reply to inspection and I asked for a seller's assist of nine th- or I asked for a seller's assist of $12,000. He counter offered at six. I counter offered at 10. He counted at nine. We met at nine. 
So all in, the purchase price of the house ended up being 194000 or 195000 And my mortgage payment with interest, insurance, all that good stuff was $1,115 a month. So when you're getting the seller assist from the contract, do you, does that actually reduce like the loan amount itself? Or is that just a uh, piece of the closing costs or down payment that gets removed, paid for by the seller? Yeah, sorry. So the actual loan amount stays the same, but the seller's assist money comes from just the closing cost. So I saved $9,000 on my cash to close. So in my head, it brings the purchase price from 205 to 195, but really the purchase price is still 205, but I saved 10,000 on the closing. And that's it's it's just like a weird verbiage, but the, it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And so your monthly expenses for the mortgage was under 1200, which is your goal there. So you were able to rent out that upstairs and then live downstairs. Running these numbers after it's fully rented out, what was the uh, the comps that you had run? And then with that, what was your profits looking like for the property? Yeah, so it was uh, a little tricky, especially because I knew the tenants. Like I said, I had went to two pretty much identical properties that were both for sale on the same street on the same day. And I remembered seeing... 1300 for, or it was 1200 No, it was 1100 Sorry, I'm looking at it now. The two-bedroom was getting 1100 The one-bedroom was getting, like, nothing, but I was like, we're living here. So I was just focused on the two-bedroom. They were getting 1100 So I was like, all right. I can't, went to my friends, and I was like, look, guys, I it was an awkward conversation, but I was like, I, I know you guys are paying 1100 now. Could you pay 1200 To get that back, I'd love to, like, put new flooring in the bathroom, paint, like do try to like make it more of an attractive place for you to live for that extra hundred dollars a month. And the response I got was, Jake, do you know what we're paying now? And I was like, uh, I, th- I thought it was 1100 and they were paying 800 a month. So I just screwed over, you know, friends of mine and was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to need $400 more a month. And then I was like, look, the lowest I could go and like not be losing money would be 1150 a month. So that would cover just their cost of living at the house. It would cover the mortgage and the utilities and stuff just for them. And, you know, I explained that to them and they were like, yeah, that's no problem. The only thing is, can we stay on a month to month lease? because we're hoping to buy a house soon. I was like, that's no problem. So they stayed for a couple months and then bought a house. And then I just rented out the the unit again. I, you know, fixed things up and got a new tenant in the the end of the month. And they, uh, they're currently paying 1300 a month. So that was my goal right now, you know, with the mortgage, with the utility cost, so you know, eleven fifteen plus the one twenty five is twelve forty, and I'm bringing in thirteen hundred a month. You know, we're cash flowing sixty bucks a month, living there for free, but that also freed up the apartment we were living in, which then we start we were able to rent out, brought it twelve fifty. So now that the triplex that we were in is now functioning to its full potential, we're living somewhere for free, and the end of the year. 
we'll be able to to maximize the profits. And we, we put a lot of work into the, to the downstairs apartment, and we're hoping for a thousand or maybe even eleven hundred bucks for that. So I think the most important thing to pull from that deal, especially, is that they had it listed as technically a bad deal that it was 244,000 list price and when you run the numbers on that it does not come back as a good deal no matter how you look at it just specifically with the 1% and then even when you break down the numbers it, it just doesn't add up so something to keep in mind when you're looking at these properties that you see list prices that are really high that at the end of the day you're just going to have to put in an offer and see if they bite see if they respond back with a counter and then just have a little bit of back and forth to see if you can get it under your threshold to make it a good deal because at the end of the day it's just a number it just everything comes down to a number with these and if you can quickly analyze all the prices are included in the deal utilities and mortgage you can really find out accurately the highest amount you can pay and then trying to get lower than that to make it even better but just something to keep in mind when you're checking these out because you will see a lot of properties like this that are listed way more than will make them a good deal for sure and like a house is only worth what it sells for like you can look at comps you can look at things and the true value of a house is the number that it sells for and that's it you know you you can think that you have all this equity because your neighbor's house sold for this much but it, it really comes down to how much money you get for it. So, you know, with with this one, the house was sitting for almost three months. So, again, in a hot market, investors aren't seeing that as a good return. You know, especially, you know, some investors don't want to see a vacancy. It, you know, I see it as a, a huge opportunity to come in, increase the value, and, and get market rents for it. But, you know, it's just playing your advantages. So, the, and, and like I said, there, there was a, a lot of a lot of legwork in this one you know the rehab at this this place was significantly more than my last deal but it was all stuff that we were able to do you know we bought this and still the lease didn't start of for, for our old apartment for another month so i had a month of living at the one and being able to to work on the other getting that ready to move in then start moving stuff in and then, you know, kind of slowly doing things that way. We jacked up the whole front porch, you know, put six by sixes underneath, redid the foundation. My dad helped out a lot with that. And I, I learned some tips and tricks uh, for doing that, which seemed like a really expensive fix. Like when you talk about a building sagging or a deck sagging, like a lot of people are like, you got to call the engineers or the professionals. And, you know, we were in there for a day and, uh, you know, probably 600 bucks worth of material and got it done. So that, that was the first step. The, the flashing on the roof, even though they replaced the roof, they didn't replace the flashing. And that is where the leaks happen. So like there was still an active leak when I got it. You saw it in the third floor bedroom. You know, I was able to seal that up and uh, lots of other things. We, we, it had not been too wiring. I replaced all the electrical because I had the access. It was from the basement to the first floor. So I was able to dedicate lines, you know, put in new outlets and do everything nice. Painting. My dad put a crown molding in the living room, which it makes it look really sharp. New flooring in the kitchen, new flooring in the bathroom. I took out a wall of the bathroom, moved a vent to just give us 
I think we got like three more square feet in the bathroom, but it made it doable to to go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know, to have uh, Caleb come in and actually be able to use the bathroom. And, um, you know, we did that. We there there was a lot a lot more involved in this one. We took a bunch of trees down. There was old concrete foundation in the back parking spots. It broke that up and tried to level that out. Put a shed up in the back that I ended up getting from a friend. I moved the the plumbing and the wiring in the basement to move the laundry setup into its own spot in the basement. You know, so there there was a a significant amount of work and all in with you know besides for paying myself the the material cost for for the whole rehab was under the three thousand that I was hoping for. So again, super doable. Definitely had help, but it was uh, it was a job. But it, I think it's worth a lot more now. Definitely was a good property. Definitely was a a good investment, and you know we really like living there now. I think like the most important thing for getting in is like all that all that value add, all that learning from it would have been completely impossible if you hadn't picked up the deal in the first place. And that definitely was something that we both learned. The negotiation part was something from the book Never Split the Difference, which is something that we were interested in bringing up to you guys, letting you know about that book. Um, It's just mind-blowing, the information in there about how to talk to people, how to get your point across, and how to negotiate specifically. And it's an extremely valuable book to learn to read from. That was something we wanted to do for the homework for you guys. If, If you're interested in reading books, get it on audible if you're into audiobooks get it on youtube it's free it just doesn't <laughs> sound good but you'll get the point yeah if you don't mind robot voices or whatever that is on youtube but now the, the information in there is invaluable and will make that process of that back and forth just plain and simple the tactics and the strategies to get the number that you want to get just clear as day so definitely check that out if you haven't heard of it or listened to it already and listen to it again if you have given give it a couple if you can yeah seriously caleb showed me this book a while ago and it made a significant impact on my life like day-to-day haggling reaching for no there's so much good stuff in this book it's an ex-fbi negotiator cia whatever fbi yeah yeah fbi negotiator and like it's such a good book like definitely i i hope at some point we'll have an episode of just diving into that specific book and like the strategies of haggling and like getting your point across and dealing with people it's it's a very very valuable book yeah, because for these deals, you can be erasing tens of thousands of dollars that you would be paying just on a few conversations in the initial process. Specifically, we just went over that deal where it was terrible at first and setting your anchor at a super low number and then going back and forth and then getting them right where you wanted them in, in the first place. You know, it was just something that can make any bad deal a good deal if you know how to use those strategies. So definitely check it out. And with that, guys, that wraps up episode number three. Thank you, everyone, for listening, for, you know, writing reviews, for, you know, leaving comments and stuff like that. We we love talking to all you guys. Like, you know, it's still at this point, it's just our friends listening to it. But like the conversations that were sparking, it was the goal of this. Like the entire goal was to start for our friends 
an easier segue into start talking about money and like we see it happening. It's awesome. And so thank you guys. See you next week and uh, stay slummy.